0: Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Misty. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, Marginal Zone Lymphoma Treatment Updates. And today's program is supported by Pharmacytics, Inc., an ABby company, and Janssen Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC. I really want to thank them for the support of this program and for many of our programs as well. Now, we have many of you on the call today. We have over 200 participants on this program today, and you come from all over the United States. And you come from all different regions of the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants on the call from Canada, Norway, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a global call. And it's a pleasure to have all of you on the call today. You are clearly a group of information seekers, and we're delighted to have you with us today. And now it is my pleasure to introduce our first speaker, Dr. David Strauss. Dr. Strauss is attending physician, lymphoma service, Department of Medicine, Memorial Stone-Kettering Cancer Center, professor of clinical medicine while at Cornell Medical College. And Dr. Strauss will be addressing updates on marginal zone lymphoma in the context of COVID-19 and variants, overview of marginal zone lymphoma, including staging and location. Subtypes of marginal zone lymphoma, review of treatment options, and the increasing role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments, in communicating with your healthcare team. It's my pleasure now to introduce our, our doctor, my esteemed colleague, Dr. Strauss. Thank you
2: very, <clears throat> thank you very much, Dr. Messner. It's a privilege and a pleasure to participate this afternoon. Uh, I will be giving an overview of marginal zone lymphoma and uh comments on initial management uh, and Dr. Rutherford will be talking about treatment of relapse and refractory. Uh, lymphoma and some words about clinical trials and, uh, and how to uh, manage uh, symptoms and uh, treatment uh, from a uh, patient's point of view. So <clears throat> marginal zone lymphoma is among the slowly growing uh, non-Hodgkin lymphomas that are sometimes referred to as low-grade or sometimes as indolent. Uh, because of that, uh, in the era of, of, uh, of COVID, uh decision has to be made about the urgency or necessity of immediate treatment, uh, something that is uh, not, which is a little bit different from very fast-growing, aggressive, scary lymphomas that have to be treated immediately. So uh in the you know the, the, the lymphomas are uh, a disease associated with the malignancy of lymphocytes that operate the body's immune system there is an immuno suppression immunodeficiency associated with it to some extent and this is uh, compounded by treatment which uh, can also really contribute to immunosuppression. So that with, many times with marginal zone lymphoma, a real decision has to be made as to the urgency or necessity of immediate treatment. If it is necessary, we we can do it safely uh, with uh, certain precautions. So, as I said, this is a slowly growing or indolent or low-grade lymphoma, non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Um, the, the term marginal zone lymphoma comes from the resemblance of the malignant cells in marginal zone lymphoma to normal lymphocytes that reside in a normal spleen, in a region called the marginal zone. Um, These uh, lymphomas can be localized to one site, or they can be more widespread, and this is a blood cancer, so that it's very often that uh, uh, we find disease in multiple areas because these are cells that circulate in the blood and through the system of lymph nodes and vessels, the lymphatic system, and are present in many other organs throughout the body. Um, If they are localized, uh, they may be treated locally with either surgery to remove them or radiation therapy, which is very good for local control. That could be curative, but if there really is other disease that's present below the level of detection in other areas, it could recur in some other area not spreading from the original site, but probably in many areas some undetectable from the get-go. And in that case, the treatment is usually systemic, usually with uh, chemotherapy given by mouth or or by vein or sometimes under the skin, uh, or immune therapies or targeted agents. These are systemic treatments that get at the disease wherever it is. It is uh, about 6% uh, of non-Hodgkin lymphoma overall. At times, uh, cases can transform into a more aggressive type that will look different under the microscope. It will look more aggressive, uh, reflecting its faster growth. This is called transformation, and that is a clear indication for Treatment when it is diagnosed, as compared to other marginal zone lymphomas, where treatment sometimes is delayed. There are three uh, subtypes of marginal. I should just mention the staging that we use is really not totally relevant to marginal zone lymphoma since it's based on hodgkin lymphoma in an era when we use radiation therapy but we still use it with some modification so local disease is referred to as stage 1 if you have lymph nodes in two or more sites either above the diaphragm above the in the upper half of the body or below the diaphragm the lower half of the body but not both two or more sites, that's stage two in lymph nodes. If there are disease in lymph nodes and or spleen on both sides of the diaphragm, both above and below, such as in the neck and in the groin, that's stage three. And if there is disease in an extranodal site, a site that's not a lymph node uh, that's uh, with lymph nodes, that's considered to be stage four. But basically with marginal zone lymphoma, there's localized disease and there is more widespread disease. So there are three types of marginal zone lymphoma. One of them, are, and the most common type, are what are called extranodal marginal zone lymphomas. Some of these involve the gastrointestinal tract and other related organisms in the lining or mucosa of these organs. Uh, This is referred to as mucosa-associated lymphoid tumors or MALT lymphomas, M-A-L-T. Um, A number of these are associated with infections. Uh, The most uh, common one and the most uh, dramatic one is uh, uh, extranodal marginal zone lymphomas that involve the stomach, gastric marginal zone lymphomas, about 80% of which are associated with an infection in the stomach by a bacteria called Helicobacter pylori or H. pylori. And actually, uh, treatment of the infection with antibiotics can result in regressions of the lymphomas at times, sometimes very long-lasting. Radiation therapy is often given as a second-line treatment if necessary and if uh, antibiotics don't clear the infection. Again, that would be for localized Uh, gastric marginal zone lymphoma, which is often the case. Other sites that can be involved are areas around the eye, the tear glands, uh, and uh, the conjunctiva, which is the lining of the eyelids and uh, the front of the eye. The skin, again, they can be localized and excised or radiated or Sometimes they're just followed if they are uh, in multiple areas and don't progress. Uh, There are also, uh, in some regions of the world, uh, uh, particularly the Middle East and Africa, uh, extranodal marginal zone lymphomas of the small intestine, which are called Ipsid, with abdominal cramping and malabsorption. The salivary gland uh, can be involved. Uh this one is uh, is associated with an autoimmune condition related to rheumatoid arthritis called Sjögren's syndrome, which uh causes uh which it causes lymphocytes to uh non-malignant lymphocytes to infiltrate the salivary glands and cause dry mouth, dry eyes and uh, sometimes this can become malignant into a marginal zone lymphoma. And uh, there also are lymphomas that involve the lung, uh, extranodal marginal zone lymphomas of the lung, uh, which can be seen in, in smokers, in patients with chronic, chronic bronchitis, bronchiectasis, and other chronic lung infections. So uh, immune or infectious stimulation of normal lymphocytes can be in the background and develop and be associated with, perhaps develop into uh, malignant marginal zone lymphomas. The second major type are marginal zone lymphomas of the spleen. Uh, they involve mostly the spleen, very often, the blood and the bone marrow, the factory for blood, are, is, are also involved. Uh, This disease can be associated with very enlarged spleens that cause uh, abdominal discomfort. Uh, The spleens uh, can kind of sequester blood cells and cause them to be destroyed uh, faster than normal, resulting in low blood counts and anemia. And sometimes the spleen is so large that it interferes with filling of the stomach so that people uh, fill up very easily and have to eat uh, several small meals a day because of mechanical compression by the enlarged spleen. And sometimes if the if the uh, tumor outgrows the blood supply, There can be inflammation, death of some of the cancer cells, and uh, irritation of the capsule of the spleen, causing uh, pain and uh, sometimes fever. Uh, Lymph nodes may be involved in this disease as well, but they are usually not very much enlarged. The treatment for this used to be a splenectomy. In other words, and often the diagnosis was made uh, when somebody had a symptomatic enlarged spleen with some of the symptoms I mentioned. They had a splenectomy and this was demonstrated. These days, we can uh, use a immune drug called rituximab. This is a CD20 antibody that attaches to a receptor on uh, malignant and normal B cells called CD20 And this activates the body's own immune system to destroy the tumor cells. So usually when we diagnose this disease, if it requires treatment, sometimes people will have a spleen that isn't so enlarged, and it doesn't require immediate treatment. But when it requires treatment, we usually start with rituximab, and very often that can really substantially shrink the spleen uh and then uh the third type is is really quite rare it's only 10% marginal zone lymphomas that really mostly involve lymph nodes not sites outside of lymph nodes not extranodal and not not principally the spleen these uh, are very they're not very well characterized and uh sometimes we wonder if this is a diagnosis of exclusion that you know the special tests we do on material under the microscope uh and other tests that we do can identify uh lymphomas of different types, but if it doesn't really meet the markers and the stains for those types, we're sort of left with this could be a marginal zone lymphoma. So actually I'm quite interested in this and we're looking at uh, these cases uh, that we've been seeing over the years at Memorial um, to better characterize them. So um, I think that in summary, uh, this is a slowly growing lymphoma. In many cases, there's no evidence that beginning treatment immediately is of any benefit uh, and that the same outcome can be obtained if treatment is only initiated when there is disease progression and it's necessary, and thereby uh, avoiding exposure to the risks of treatment for a period of time, sometimes never uh, requiring treatment. Uh, And this is somewhat different from, uh, this is really a chronic condition like hypertension or diabetes or so on, where you control the disease, but you don't uh, cure it. And that's different from scary, aggressive cancers that you have to treat right away. So I'd like to uh, wind up now and turn it over to Sarah. I think I've gone over my time a little bit, but thank you for your attention.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Strass. That was really outstanding. Just a wonderful overview um, and really a lot of information. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. Thank you, as always. And our next speaker is Dr. Sarah Rutherford. And Dr. Rutherford is um, John P. Leonard, MD, Gorthman Family Re- Research Scholar in Lymphoma, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Cornell Medicine, Medical College, Cornell University. And Dr. Robinson will be addressing treatment for relapsed refractory marginal zone lymphoma, the importance of clinical trials, how research contributes to your treatment options, managing treatment yeah. side effects, symptoms, discomfort, yeah. and pain, key questions to ask your healthcare team about quality of life concerns, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, list of questions, follow-up care appointments, and discussion of open notes. Yeah. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Rutherford.
3: Thank you so much, Dr. Messner, and uh, thank you for the excellent overview, Dr. Strauss. We've done this program together before, and I always enjoy um, hearing your your um, opening and then going on from there. Um, so I, I really have a message of, of optimism here when, when I start to talk about relapse and refractory marginal zone lymphoma uh, because we have so many new therapies now Um, Just even in the last few years, we have a lot of targeted treatment that is more specific for killing lymphoma cells than our standard chemotherapy approaches, and um, it's just really an exciting time for us as doctors to be able to offer so many new therapies for our patients. Um, So first, I want to mention, when we suspect that the marginal zone lymphoma may be active again, this is after an initial treatment in the past, or maybe even a treatment that was ongoing and didn't work well. Um, We do usually want to do a PET scan um, to help assess um, where exactly the disease is and to help us make uh, sure that there is no transformation to the faster-growing lymphoma, like um, Dr. Strauss mentioned. And usually we'd like to do a second biopsy, even if the person had an initial biopsy that showed marginal zone lymphoma, we like to really make sure we're still dealing with the same disease and that it hasn't become a more aggressive malignancy. Now, I want to distinguish between relapse versus refractory disease. Now, sometimes people um, will be um, treated with an agent, for example, rituximab, and it maybe just doesn't have the effect that we, that we hope that it would have. Um, and so then we would really consider that refractory disease. And we would often add additional treatment to it, and that may include chemotherapy. Um, some patients do um, require chemotherapy treatment at the beginning um, of their of their um, disease course and so one of the most important um, factors will uh, will be for us uh, when we decide what to recommend for a second treatment would be what did the patient get for the first treatment now if um, I, made the, I mentioned refractory disease, that's when the initial treatment doesn't work that well. Um, another um, scenario is what we call relapse, which means it may be you know, a couple of years after the first treatment, um, the disease comes back. And, and then um, you know, in that case, sometimes we can use the rituximab drug by itself again. So, one option um, for management of this disease, as Dr. Strauss mentioned, is rituximab, that's a monoclonal antibody against CD20. Um rituximab is a very um, tried-and-true drug that's been FDA approved for many years. Um, like I said, it can be given as a single agent. It's usually given four weekly doses in a row in that case. Um, it does take some time to work, though. So if someone is particularly symptomatic from their disease, um, we may incorporate chemotherapy either in the in the front line or in a subsequent line. Um, so some examples of chemotherapy that um, are used for this disease could be uh, an agent called bendamustine, which is given two days in a row every four weeks uh, for six months, and usually that is given with rituximab, and then um, a standard. Um, chemotherapy for, for a number of different B-cell lymphomas is called CHOP. that's um, a combination of chemotherapy drugs usually given every three weeks for six um, total treatments. Um, and there are some modifications of that regimen. Um, but what I really wanted to focus on more were some of the newer drugs um, that we have available now for marginal and lymphoma. Um, I do want to mention, and we're going to talk a little more in, in a bit about clinical trials um, Marginal zone lymphoma is the second most common of the slow-growing lymphomas, um, but it is not as common um, as as follicular lymphoma. So many of the trials that have led to us to be uh, using these new agents um, have primarily included follicular lymphoma patients and then also enrolled marginal zone, but not as many, so for example, some of the trials would have about 75% of their patients would have follicular lymphoma and 25% would have marginal zone. Um, and so some of the treatments we use do not technically have an FDA approved indication for this disease, um, but 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 our data is based on the, the group of patients which are often include follicular and marginal zone patients. Um, and so that, that's actually an important reason for marginal zone um, lymphoma um, to be studied more in clinical trials and to advocate for patients to be enrolled, um, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Um, so uh, what I, I wanted to first talk about the category of drugs called rutin tyrosine kinase inhibitor, and um, these have, there are now three agents um, that, are, that are FDA approved for lymphomas in general, Uh, But the ones that we particularly think of for um, marginal zone lymphoma are ibrutinib and sanabrutinib is the one that's most newly approved. And these are oral drugs that that target to a a part of the B cell receptor on the surface of these lymphoma cells and help to more specifically target them to kill them, Um, as opposed to chemotherapy, which kills cells that divide and are not specific for um, the lymphoma cells. And so um, we've Abrutinib has been around for for a, a number of years now. We have a lot of experience with it, and generally very well tolerated and effective drugs um, and actually, an exciting um, part, both um, i believe. Um, what led to the approval of the, these two drugs, the Brutinib and Xanabrutinib, were trials that did enroll only marginal zone lymphoma patients. So that's really good that, that we are getting more studies that are really specifically looking at patients with this diagnosis and not um, not um, looked at that together with other lymphoma types. So we know that these drugs are efficacious in marginal zone lymphoma. Um, and then uh, the, the newer version is called Xanabrutinib, And, um, you know, both of these are very well tolerated. I will talk a little bit more about side effects, and I I don't mean to say that they don't have any side effects, but people um, generally are able to do, you know, their normal activities, work, and, you know, feel well. And and sort of the goal of this whole management of this disease is for people to feel as well as possible and, and, you know, live live their maximum um, quality of life as much as possible. Um, So, I would say one um, factor to remember about these drugs, though, is that for the most part, they're continued ongoing um, as long as they're working and they're well-tolerated by patients. So, as opposed to chemotherapy, which are usually given for some set amount of time, um, these oral drugs, at least at this point in time, are typically given ongoing. Um, That being said, there are studies, particularly in some other lymphoma types, but that will probably you know, lead to some additional studies down the line that may look at what we call time-limited therapy where um, the patients are put on it for a certain amount of time. And then if they meet certain parameters indicating that the disease is into a good remission, they may be stopped at some point. Um, So another agent I wanted to mention um, is called lenalidomide. And that is another targeted oral drug um, which has been studied with rituximab. And there's also data for that with a drug called obinutuzumab, which is another monoclonal antibody against CD20. Um, I believe that doesn't technically have an indication for marginal zone lymphoma, but it is used sometimes in patients who've gotten rituximab and then have had the disease recur. This is an oral drug that's given um, three weeks in a row and then one week off, ongoing, um, often for uh, up to a couple of years. Um, And again, the, the, the data... Um, for example, one of the trials primarily had um, about three quarters of the patients had follicular lymphoma, and then about 25% had marginal zone lymphoma. Um, but this it, it does have um, good data to support its use in um, in marginal zone lymphoma as well. And then a third class of drug is called PI3 kinase inhibitor. Now there have been a number of these approved, and not all are available at this time. They are known to have some side effects, such as diarrhea um, and, uh, uh, in some cases, uh, shortness of breath. And so this is one that we really um, need to monitor very closely, but that just um, wanted to let you know there's another drug that um, the one that I would say would be the most, um, I would be most likely to prescribe with the pi 3 kinase inhibitors is called Umbralisib. Um, and, um, there was actually a study that looked at that in marginal zone lymphoma specifically, um, that was, uh, published in, in recent year, uh, I believe last year, um, which, um, led to its FDA approval. So I've just mentioned, um, three different classes of oral agents that are options for people with marginal zone lymphoma that, that are, you know, relatively new for us, and we're really excited to have those as options for patients. And then the last, um, category I wanted to talk about, which isn't technically FDA approved right now, but I am hopeful that this will become an option in the future, um, is um, what's called CAR T cell therapy. And you may have heard about that. It is FDA approved for a number of other um, uh, other lymphoma types. And this is uh, essentially a way of helping your body to better fight the lymphoma. Um, blood cells are collected and then and then processed in such a way. Um, in which they, uh, the, the T cells, which are part of your immune system, are really um,
1: uh,
3: beefed up, essentially, so that they can be better able to fight, recognize the lymphoma cells and kill them. And so that that product is then reinfused back into the person's um, body. And then um, there's a, a process that goes along with that that's beyond the scope of this discussion. But I really just wanted to mention that as another uh, option that. I think, will be available for patients with marginal zone in the future. Um, so that really leads me into to talk about the important role of clinical trials. You've heard me mention this a number of times. And I know Dr. Strauss is heavily involved, and I'm heavily involved in clinical trials and some of the ones that I've mentioned that have led to the approval of these new um, agents. And this is really the way that we get um, we get, um new drugs uh, available for patients. And so I actually think that clinical trials are extremely important both to the individual patient and to population of patients with lymphoma in general because um, often these new and often better, better tolerated and more efficacious therapies um, compared to chemotherapy um, are, are actually available for patients to enroll and to get, you know, access to that, whereas they wouldn't necessarily be able to to get that type of a drug um, would they, should they be treated with a normal standard of care at the time. And often clinical trials, um, you know, will translate into better quality of life and increased survival for our patients. Um, now what I'll do is um, switch gears to the side effects and discomfort. So um, I would talk um, generally about um, the, different sort of big pick, the different categories. So uh, obviously side effects are highly dependent on the regimen that's used um, in general, in, in slow-growing lymphomas like marginal zone, a primary goal is to keep patients feeling as well as possible. And so, you know, we we will often try to give patients the least uh, intense therapy um, that is most likely to get the disease under control, um, but but also, you know, um, to be uh, you know essentially to to be um, effective, but yet to keep them feeling as well as possible. Um, so. Um, What I'll mention is some side effects of rituximab. Rituximab is a very well-tolerated drug. Um, It is fairly common for patients to get a shaking chill-like reaction on the first dose of it. But infusion centers are very used to dealing with this. It's been, again, it's been around for 20 years. Um, We often give it very slowly. We give um, steroids, Benadryl, and Tylenol with it on the first dose. And so that usually is not much of a problem. Um, otherwise, it really is well-tolerated. People are usually able to work and do their normal activities. I would say in the in the context of COVID, um, it does, you know, increase your susceptibility to infections, and so, you know, that's something we think about when we're starting treatment, especially in this um, era of a, of a pandemic that we've been going through, um, and we can talk more about that in the question and answer session as well. Um, So as far as chemotherapy is concerned, um, chemotherapy does often have more side effects, sometimes hair loss, depending on the agent used. Nausea, although we have very good medicines that control nausea, um, and so that usually is not a major issue for our patients with these regimens. Um, It can cause numbness and tingling of the fingers or toes. Um, and and, uh, other side effects um, that affect organs, for example, cardiac toxicity. So um, we would be monitoring very closely for various symptoms um, like this throughout the course and to give um, patients um, the supportive care they need to um, manage the the side effects. Now I've mentioned these novel drugs, the oral drugs um, are often better tolerated than chemotherapy. They do have some side effects though, um, for example, abrutinib is associated with, associated with diarrhea. We can often manage that by dosing it at night, um, or we can have patients and or we can have patients take drugs like imodium, loperamide to help manage that. Um, some of these drugs can cause um, or be associated with rashes, um, so we, we always want to know about that soon. I think in general, it's important for you to let your doctor know about any side effects because we can um, we can try to um, intervene and help for example, with a rash by um, giving topical cream. Sometimes we do have to interrupt the drug um, transiently. Sometimes we um, have UC dermatologists if, if needed. Um, but overall, I would say um, the oral drugs do, you know, your doctors are going to be very comfortable uh, managing them. We have a lot of experience with these drugs. And, um, and uh, again, the, the most important aspect as you communicating with your doctor about any side effects so that they can be um, managed proactively from the beginning. Um, Now I'd actually um, put down some key questions to ask your healthcare team um, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit more about quality of life concerns after that. I think the most important question to ask is to to make sure that the the healthcare team is confident with the diagnosis, making sure that the diagnosis is, I would say, the most important part of lymphoma um, because there are 80 plus different types of lymphomas and we want to really make sure we're dealing with the right diagnosis. Um, and you can always ask to have your pathology reviewed at another um, institute, institution, um, an academic institution, for example, if you want to, you know, have a have another pair of, of eyes look at it and make sure that they concur with that diagnosis. Um, I think it's important for you to uh, ask about the length of recommended treatment and plan for monitoring, as well as the side effects. And then, again, I always um, like to emphasize that I think it's good for patients to ask about clinical trial options. Um, at any step, so they're you know either newly diagnosed or in a situation where the lymphoma has recurred. Clinical trials definitely have a role. Now, switching gears to quality of life, I want to mention that this is of particular importance in this disease because um, it is is really not thought to be curable in most cases. And so they're managed more like a chronic disease, like um, Dr. Strauss said, in when, which patients receive therapy um, intermittently as they feel symptoms or potentially ongoing with these oral type therapies that I've talked about. Um, and so I think it's really important, again, that you stay in very close touch with your doctor um, and that in between the appointments. And if you feel symptoms that you think may be related to the disease, for example, persistent fatigue, pain, fever, chills, night sweats, and unintentional weight loss. You should call your doctor and let them know. They would want to see you and examine you, check labs, and possibly do an imaging ch- test to assess the status of the lymphoma. Um, and the, the goal of treatment of marginal zone lymphoma is really to improve how you feel overall and to, you know to help you keep feeling as well as possible. Um, so treatment should really be tailored to each individual patient situation. If you find that, if, that the treatment's making you feel worse and difficult to tolerate, you should talk to your doctor about it, and they can try to find a way to make you, you know, to have a, a management strategy that is, um, that is appropriate for you. And I'm going to conclude by talking about telehealth and telemedicine appointments. Um, I've found that um, these are, have actually been um, one positive aspect of the pandemic has been that, that we've been able to communicate well with our patients sometimes who live far away by telemedicine appointment. And that has often been less stressful for patients and have enabled more family and friends to be present during visits than would be possible in an in-person visit. And I've actually found um, for having um, very serious conversations that it's easier in some ways to do it without masks on on a virtual setting than with everyone having their gear on with N95s and goggles and all of this, um, which sometimes can make it difficult to communicate. Um, so, with regard to um, being prepared, um, I think you know I would think of it in a similar way to going in person, and and um, you know create a list of questions if you'd like um, to go forward with um, with uh, the the um, aspects of your treatment and and um, disease in general that that you'd like to discuss with your physician. Um, and then one, I also wanted to um, bring up. The open notes, um, which some of you may be familiar with. This is a recent initiative to enable patients to view the notes that their doctors write. And I, I uh, think this is an important discussion point because I think I actually have found that it has sometimes been stressful on both sides, both for the patients and for the physicians, because in general, our notes in, in the past have been intended to be directed to other physicians. And so some of the information may not maybe in wording that the patient does not understand. And I know that I have been trying really hard to write it in a, in a way that I think that the patients would understand as well. Um, but I think that um, if you have questions um, of your physician after reading some of this note, that, that you can reach out and, and they can clarify the issues. Um, and and I think this is something that we're going to become comfortable with more as we uh, get more used to it. Um, so with that, I think I'll finish. And I know we have a good amount of time for questions. I look forward to having um, the discussion uh, with Dr. Strauss ongoing for the next 20 minutes or so. Oh,
1: well, thank you so much, Dr. Rutherford. That was really outstanding. Uh, just wonderful presentation lots of lots of optimism and lots of good information for people. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Um, I just want to say a few words about cancer care services, um, um, and i uh, just going to go over them now with you. Um, um, so Cancer Care is a national organization um, providing services to people throughout the United States, all parts of the United States. And um, we provide um, a host of different services. We do have a Hope line. Um, it's an eight hundred number that you can call, um, and that number, um, you'll be getting all this information. Of course, after the program, you'll be getting a Survey Monkey evaluation, and anything we mention as a resource will be mentioned in the uh, evaluation. so you'll be getting you'll be getting additional resources in addition to the evaluation. Um, So um, people can call that number, and our staff are are set up to pick up that phone when it calls. So when you call our HopeLine, one of our oncology social workers will pick up the phone, and usually people will identify what their issues are or concerns, and then our oncology social workers will offer support and help and guidance in terms of the question or concern you may have. We also offer um, practical, financial, and co-payment assistance, which has become very important, always has been important, but particularly during the pandemic, people have really um, sought additional assistance from us, and um, we've tried as much as possible to provide as much assistance as possible. If we don't have the assistance, we will connect you with other organizations that have that assistance available through our case management program. So we don't just give you a list of places to go to. We actually will take you there virtually to be sure they do have Um, what you need. For example, some people will have food insecurity needs or lack of food or housing issues. So our our staff, our case management staff, will go with you on the phone, online, to an organization and link you up and see if they have what you need. Sometimes it's a national program. Sometimes it may be a regional or a local uh, organization that's right in your community that you might not have known about. And we also do offer um, online support groups people like those a great deal because, well, for one thing, they are not in real time. They actually happen um, so you can post any time in those support groups. And we have them for lots of different topics. Um, we have them on different types of cancers, of course. We also have them for caregivers, for partners, for, um, for young adults, for older adults, for middle-aged adults. So it really does cover the gamut of support groups that you might want and they're online so it makes it quite um, accessible to people. Um, some people prefer that. Um, and um, and then we also have these workshops that we offer and of course when these workshops occur in real time and then they are archived on our website as podcasts so that they're up for at least a year. Like Today's program will be up for at least a year. And we also offer publications that you can access from our website um, or online. And now I'm going to ask our uh, Misty to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to take as many of your questions as possible. And she'll explain to you how to queue up for questions. Misty, Th- thank you,
0: ladies and gentlemen. If you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchdown phone. If your question has been answered, you, w- you may wish to remove yourself from the queue by pressing the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question.
1: We have a question from one of our online participants and this to be for Dr. Strauss. Are targeted therapies better than chemotherapy and marginal zone lymphoma uh,
2: <clears throat> well, they're both options um, I think that uh <clears throat> standard uh treatment uh is often a combination of chemotherapy and rituximab which is sort of a combination of antibody which is a type of immune treatment and chemotherapy um however as dr rutherford mentioned uh two uh, of the targeted agents classes of targeted agents are actually the first drugs to be specifically approved for uh, marginal zone lymphoma. One of these are the BTK inhibitors, uh, abrutinib and xanabrutinib, and the other, uh, umbralisimib, which is a PI3 kinase inhibitor. These are drugs that target uh, biochemical pathways in the cancer cells these are dri- that drive their growth and control their death. And uh, these can be targeted, and so I think both of these have their place, uh, and excellent responses can be seen uh, with both of them. I would say that uh, for frontline treatment, when it's requested, when, when it's required, and you really want to get a, a, a jump on getting the most uh, sort of long-lasting, durable remission. Probably uh, chemoimmunotherapy, uh, antibodies such as uh, 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 rituximab or obentuzumab and chemotherapy might be the first choice.
1: Thank you. And um, a question for Dr. Rutherford. Um, Have you heard of having only BC16? and no BC-12 with CN, marginal cell lymphoma? Um,
3: So I think they're referring to some of the stains that are done um, by our um, pathologists. They're called immunohistochemistry where they're looking for different protein expression. Um, It's a bit of a difficult question to answer without having more information, but I would say... um, this would be the type of situation if you had um, a concern that you might have some more rare um, version of this. That it's, you know, having asking your doctor if you can have the uh, pathology request that, uh, reviewed at another institution. So, for example, um, you know, some cases that uh, NIH can review cases, or you could have it sent to an academic center nearby. But I did mention that um, in my talk that I think you know, making sure you have accurate diagnosis is the most important aspect of the. Of, um, of the management of lymphomas, there are many different types of lymphomas, and um, in, in academic centers, there's uh, you know very specialized pathologists that are like all they do all day is look at cases of lymphoma. So um, it sounds like you know that potentially would be indicated on this case. And um, Dr. Schultz, if you have anything else to add, uh, feel free.
2: yeah things life is getting uh a lot more complicated. I mean the principle of you know treatment for medical oncology is what 's the diagnosis? What are we treating and with lymphoma, it turns out that that is getting more and more complicated as to what it is and it It's kind of a challenge in our discussions with a pathologist to kind of figure out given, you know, maybe more detail than we are, are used to exactly how that fits into the treatments that we have available and what the best fit is. No, that's a very good question.
1: Excellent. Fantastic. And now I have a question for you, Dr. Strauss. Um, what are the differences, if any, between SMCL versus other mental marginal zone lymphomas for the following treatment indicators for indolence stage four, long term side effect risks for rituximab and other treatment options.
2: I'm not sure I under could you repeat I I'm not sure I understand the question. So
1: what are the differences, if any, between S M Z L versus other marginal zone lymphomas? For the following splenic
2: marginal zone lymphoma versus Oh
1: marginal versus other marginal zone lymphomas for the following treatment indicators for indolent stage four
2: side, effect. side effects stage four.
1: risks for Rituxin and other treatment options.
2: Okay. Well uh splenic marginal zone lymphoma sometimes doesn't require any treatment. It could be, you know, if there are no symptoms, the spleen is not that large uh sometimes it can just uh really not change very much for a very long time uh if treatment is required uh, initially uh the recommendation was splenectomy and that means removal of the spleen but you know that's a big that's a fairly big surgery particularly if the spleen is quite enlarged so now I think we prefer to begin with something not quite as drastic as as removing the spleen and shrinking it with rituximab. Rituximab has a pretty safe uh, profile, a side-effect profile, uh, that Dr. Rutherford mentioned uh, with infusion reactions, fevers, chills, wheezing, and so on during the infusion. And uh, rare uh, uh effects on the white blood count as a delayed thing and and rare uh, rare infections uh uncommonly seen in you know with treatment, but really not seen very much at all in patients who don't have some degree of immunosuppression um, Again, you know there I, I sort of I think you have to think about the lymphomas and maybe other cancers as well as two sort of categories one is you know fat like in lymphomas, we have very fast growing lymphomas where you really have to treat it with a goal of curing it because if you don 't you know you 'll have a very bad outcome and on the other extreme, there are what I call chronic conditions which are not you know, they're cancers, which is kind of scary, but I think the way to think about them is, you know, something you're gonna have, live with, and at times may require control, but uh, even if you get good control for a long time, could come back, which wouldn't be a calamity because then you can see whether you could be followed with it for a while or whether you need other treatment for a while. I think that's an important concept when you think about this. These are blood cancers. I mean, occasionally, if you, if you remove it or you radiate a localized area, that's it, you're done. But more often, it's throughout the body, in the lymph system throughout the body, and can show up in various areas at different times, not spreading from a primary source like with a solid tumor. Say a solid tumor begins in an organ in a particular place and then spreads from there or metastasizes. Uh, so in the case of metastasis, then we use systemic treatment. In the case of localized, you get surgery. This. Lymphomas are blood cancers, so usually the treatment if you don't remove it and it doesn't come back is going to be systemic and then you know with the low grade lymphomas it's unlikely you know it's possible it'll never come back, but it's very likely that it may come back so then it's kind of chronic condition figure out the best way of controlling it at the least uh, cost in terms of side effects i mean I think just Try to explain that as as kind of thinking about this as a concept.
1: Thank you, thank you so much, thank you. And um, um, these are really great questions, and, and really our speakers are terrific at addressing them. So thank you all. Um, and um, a question, for Dr. Rutherford: Can marginal zone lymphoma ent- metastasize to the kidney and cause cancer of the kidney? What is the recommended course of treatment? If you could clarify this for the um,
3: Okay, um, so you know, I think um, this this goes along somewhat with what Dr. Strauss just said. We don't really we don't really use the word metastasize in lymphomas because they um, they are generally tend, they tend to be spread throughout the bio- body for reasons that he mentioned. Um, they, they lymphomas can go to the kidney. I don't know the exact statistics, but I think it's pretty uncommon for marginal zone lymphoma to specifically go to the kidney, but um, certainly that is a a site that lymphomas can go to. Um, I would say it's more common for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma to be in that place than marginal zone, but nonetheless, um, you know, kidneys are a place where lymphomas can can be. Um, I think that... um, in general, where, where the, wherever the lymphoma is, it should respond to the treatment that's given. So rituximab or chemotherapy or um, targeted drugs that we've talked about should go to wherever the site is where the lymphoma is present and, um, and help to get rid of it there. So um, I wouldn't think of it as, you know, I, the way the question was framed, um, you know, made it... Um, you know seem like we might have, need to figure out how to target a treatment specifically to the kidney, but what I'm trying to indicate is that the treatment should go to wherever the disease is. That being said, you know, I would um, discuss this with your doctor if you think you know if your understanding is that your disease is in the kidney, then I would want to you know really talk to the doctor and make sure that they feel um, that you know optimistic that the diagnosis is accurate. Um, one way that we um, that we help assess um, for lymphomas, I mentioned as a PET PET scan, or usually the PET combined with a with a CT scan, and a helpful part of a PET scan is that it helps to. Show increased activity in places where there's more um, growth of cells. And so we know that generally lower numbers on those scans tend to go along with slower growing lymphomas like marginal zone and follicular, but faster growing or higher numbers on those scans go along with more aggressive, fast growing lymphomas like diffuse large B cell lymphoma. So if this, like if you were my patient, the person who asked that question, I would. You know, I would do a PET scan, and I would see what what is the uptake in the kidney, and, and that kind of helped me assess if we think that that really is a slow-growing lymphoma, if that's a fast-growing lymphoma, or, you know, sometimes we find other issues on PET scans that aren't related to lymphoma. So, um, it, but it definitely sounds like you need to talk to your doctor more about that, because that, that's a kind of a, a complicated question to answer without knowing more details.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and... Um... A question for, um, for Dr. Strauss. Um, and thank you so much for And that's true for all of the participants on the call today. For those of you who ask a question, really take the information back to your genome health team because they know you, of course, the best. They have access to all of your records. So, um, but a question for Dr. Strauss um, What is the link between hepatitis B infection and splenic marginal zone, marginal zone B cell lymphoma?
2: Yes, that's an excellent question. Uh, There is an association between hepatitis C and and splenic marginal zone lymphoma. Again, a common theme uh, in relationship to uh, marginal zone lymphoma is, is chronic inflammation or infection that stimulates immune responses. And if those go awry, you can develop a lymphoma. Uh, hepatitis C uh, now is curable uh, earlier on, when interferon uh, was used a lot, which wasn't curative, uh, they could see regressions of splenic marginal zone lymphomas with treatment of the hepatitis. This was really a few cases seen mo- reported, mostly from Europe. Not so much for this from this company from this country. I mean, there is an association, but. Uh, it's not quite as clear as it is with uh, treating Helicobacter pylori infection in the stomach with uh, antibiotics that that can cause durable regressions of the lymphoma. But that's a very good question, and it's a question that I guess is still not really completely understood.
1: Excellent, thank you. And it's a, it's a matter
2: question. that isn't, isn't completely understood. Sorry.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then uh, this will be the last question. This is for Dr. Rutherford. Do the drugs through and Gas gaz, uh, gas Um depress the immune system.
3: Um, so the, the drug the second drug that we're talking about is the one that was referred to as a is the is the other name for it. And those are both monoclonal antibodies against C D twenty. And I would say yes. To that question, and so, um, you know, one, we didn't end up getting into this discussion, but um, we have, in some cases, recommended for patients who are about to be getting or did get therapy during this pandemic, a drug, of antibody combination called Evusheld, which can um, make people uh, basically better protected. If would they be exposed to COVID? Um, over the course of the next six months, basically it gives them antibodies against COVID. Um, so that I'm I'm saying that because it, um, I I figure that would probably be on some people's minds with this question. So rituximab and obinutuzumab do suppress the immune system, but just basically by the way that they work. Um, they work on the the um, B cells, and they specifically target B cells in order to help better kill the lymphoma cells. So um, you know that. I would say compared to some other treatments we give, they're not as immunosuppressive as like multi-agent chemotherapy, which can cause blood counts to be low and can cause people to get um, more likely to be able to get bacterial infections. But I would say um, that monoclonal antibodies against CD20 do um, reduce the immunity. And so this would be another topic to talk about with your physician Um, And I I know that um, Dr. Messner and I had discussed this with Dr. Strauss as well before we talked, and we do have some information about this Evusheld antibody treatment that can help um, protect you should you be exposed to COVID. Um, So that would be something that, that I believe Dr. Messner can send out to you all after the call, some information from the CDC on that.
1: Thank you so much, and we will send that. with. When you get the survey monkey, you'll be getting that um, link to that CDC, um, so you'll have that information as well. Um, so I want to thank our speakers. You've really been, this has been a phenomenal program. I have to say, although we've done this program before, I have to say the questions and our speakers, um, it's just been a perfect uh, combination in terms of the, uh, uh, you know really addressing um, all these issues that are so um, very important um, at this time. Um, and um, I I do want to wrap this up a bit, but I do want to comment about all of you who haven't had a chance to ask your questions. We had said this would be an hour program, so we don't want to keep you on for the whole afternoon with questions. So for those of you who either asked a question, um, have a question that you were waiting to ask but didn't get to ask it, or are thinking of a question you'd like to ask, please all of you go back to treating healthcare team. They know you the best, and they're most able to, of course, um, address your questions, your, your concerns, because they know they have your whole record in front of them. So on this program, you're getting some general information, but we want it to be customized to your specific situation. And most importantly, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel that you're alone in coping with marginal zone lymphoma or with any type of blood cancer, any type of cancer. I want you to know that you're now part of a community of support um, not only from Cancer Care, but from many other organizations, we will be sending you a link to other organizations in addition to Cancer Care um, that perhaps can provide you different types of support. But we don't want to—we don't also don't want to sidestep your healthcare team because your healthcare team consists of both your physicians, the oncology nurses, oncology social workers, financial specialists, patient navigators, financial specialists. There's a whole group of people. Who on your team can help. So, any questions or concerns you may have, please take them to help your team. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This
0: concludes the workshop, and we may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.